I'm almost scared to start podcasting just because everything has been going so wrong every time we attempt to podcast for the last month, two months, something like that since December. Oh like, what it, when is it now? God, who even knows? We're gonna podcast. Oh, someone's sick. We're gonna podcast. Oh, my friend is stuck in Butte, and I have to drive a hundred miles on the ice to get them. Oh, we're gonna. Anyways. We're here. We're starting. Theoretically, the computer won't explode because that's the only thing that's going to stop us at Don't this point. Don't jinx us like that. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just get all of these out of the way doing crossover episodes. Then we'll be done in a month, I said two months ago. <laughs> Welcome to General Nerdery, your podcast about liking things. Aloha, bienvenidos, and welcome to New Island, a place for nerdy fun, friendships, and learning. I'm Professor T. And I'm Zach. <laughs> <laughs> the, the best po- crossover way to do that. <laughs> Much like the starting zone of many video games, the goal of our island resort is to teach visiting noobs about geeky subjects, but away from the stress of having to worry about sweaty tryhards, griefers, know-it-alls, or neckbeards. We like to think of it as learning and luxury. Mac? Yes, Tyler? <laughs> that is profoundly uncomfortable. I'm sorry I started this. <laughs> Welcome back to the General Nerdery crossover. <laughs> Welcome back to my place for the first time in like a month and a half. Oh, yeah. God. Thank, no. you, thank you. Thank you. Oh, I, what's our lesson today? Uh, like, play, how am I ending this? Yeah, no, this is... What's this planning thing? We've only been podcasting for years. Um, Blade 2, direct, directed by Guillermo del Toro. Which is immediate, immediately obvious. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> Before um, I knew who Guillermo del Toro was, but we'll get same, to that later. Same. And I think this was actually the second movie I'd watched by him, too. But, before that, what have we been ingesting? What have we been... Oh, God, I had a list I was going to get to, and now I can't remember. Oh, yeah, why. no, it's... Somehow, it's only... We usually do what have we been ingesting every other week. Somehow, adding one more week to it feels like... So. Much. Stuff. <laughs> Had, did I mention uh, the Blank Check podcast last time? I No. <laughs> Who knows okay. anymore, man? Well, because I should have mentioned it last time, because that's when I really got into it, but I've, it's just continued to be a thing. Uh, blank Check with Griffin and David. I... I should know who David is. Griffin is Griffin Newman, though, who was um, Arthur in the Amazon tape. Oh, you have and, mentioned this before. At least I don't know if it was on. I don't know if it was on mic. Was the thing, um, and he was also Orko in uh, Masters of the Universe Revelation. Which what a weirdly niche role of like the world's most annoying nerd, but uh, making me care about both of them, right? No, it's it's great, though. They go through directors' filmographies, uh, specializing in directors who early on in their career had a big enough or significant enough hit that they were basically issued a blank check on what they could do next. Which is crazy. That's awesome. Yeah. It's been a lot of fun. There's actually some, like really good genre names in there, which is what I've been mostly hitting, to be honest. Like uh, John Carpenter and uh, Sam Raimi. Heck yeah. Isn't that how Josh Trank got the Fantastic Four movie? With everything that ended up entailing? (laughs) Yeah, I think think so. (laughs) It doesn't always go good, but (laughs) that's, I don't know, it's been interesting. I've been listening to it a ton, so... Um, well, you're the one that swore first. I know, twice already. I'm going to have to bleep it out both times. 
and then I think I just got done with my sixth rewatch of Shorzy. Was oh, I stopped counting that one a long time ago. Like, all the way through. There's certain episodes <laughs> that I think I've seen more times just because, like, I've been like, oh, cool, I'm just going to play this while I cook dinner or whatever. Yeah, I've but, had, like, four or five friends that I've sat down and be like, have you seen this yet? Nope. All right. Guess where we are for the next few hours. Mm-hmm. I started in season two. <laughs> I have never physically watched season one. We are talking about a different show, clearly. <laughs> Yeah, there's, there's no only season one season of Shorzy. What show are you talking about? What did we watch then? Letterkenny? No, because I only I only could finish the first two seasons of Letterkenny, and then the third one I just lost interest in. Shorzy is a spinoff of Letterkenny. Yeah, yeah. But what did we watch? Year? Oh, we watched the end of season one at your place, right? Before uh, <laughs> Battle Game. <laughs> I don't even know anymore. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> what is life? Almost what is a year time? Ago. Um. It's been just a lot of rewatching stuff. I realized I hadn't rewatched Fury Road since I've upgraded my TV. So. Oh my god, I just got my huge thing. We'll talk about it in a yeah. minute. That just makes me sound like, yeah, bud. <laughs> but that was great. Um, oh for god, some Fury reason, so like, good. it was, I just, like, wanted to have, like, really good nights after work a couple nights in a row. So I rewatched Waiting for Guffman both nights because more and more I've found that in my 30s uh, the Christopher Guest movies are kind of my happy place. I don't know if I've ever actually seen Waiting for Guffman. Oh, so good. (laughs) Oh, it's so good. I love all those movies, though. I think I did, like, a mighty win, like, five times in a month, like, half a year ago. And, oh, I guess the only big new thing is I finally got caught up on all of The Last of Us. Nice. Because I'd only watched the first episode until yesterday where I saw the four after that, so... Oh, it's so it's so good. It's so good. It's I didn't even Pedro play Pedro Pascal playing an unwanting father. Yeah. Not necessarily a bad father, just one that was not looking for that job. Although the standout episode, I think kind of critically and across the board is the third episode, which is a uh, Pedro and Ellie light episode. This is the Nick it's Offerman the Nick and uh, Murray Bartlett, who was recently on the first season of White Lotus. Oh, cool. And it's so beautiful. I cried like a couple times in that episode. It's really touching. It's so good, though. And I I didn't even play the games. I have like no background coming into it other than like having picked up certain things through like nerd osmosis. Yeah, that's really where I am with The Last of Us. But being PlayStation exclusives and me being an Xbox boy. I mean, I'm a Nintendo guy, so who am I to judge? I own everything. (laughs) I Uh, I'm not beholden to anyone. Else. This is why you're poor, says the man with like 40 comic books in his truck alone. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't bought a console in years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, that's what I got, though. All right. You know, the stuff I have to talk about is all the stuff that came out right before we got our giant frickin uh, projector finally set up. I, I've mentioned it before on General Nerdery, but we ordered a short range wide projector. So it sits like six inches away from the screen, but it's a like 100 inch wide projector. It's so awesome. That's great. And it's powerful enough that even if we don't turn off the lights, like there's a little like loss of, Mm -hmm. you know, it gets a little washed out, but it's still perfectly watchable and so big that who cares? Like, (laughs) no, um, I feel that it's kind of world changing. And we're probably going to play Mario Kart on it tonight. And oh, I cannot yeah. wait to play a life-sized uh, Waluigi. 
Oh, that's terrifying. To yeah, think right. About. Like, <laughs> that's amazing. Can I interrupt really quick? I remembered no, 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 one thing that actually ties into the podcast that we're doing. I finally beat Midnight Suns. I noticed you weren't playing it when we came in, which is the first in a couple of months. Yeah, partially because I was running behind on uh, <laughs> notes for my other podcast. Um, but yeah, no, I beat it. I still need to do the Deadpool DLC, although I've played around with him some and like mm-hmm. upgraded his deck a little bit and stuff. He's a cool character. I'm just going to sort of put it on the back burner for a little bit before I do burn out on it, especially because there are... Um, Rumors that we might actually be getting uh, at least the announcement of the Elden Ring DLC at the end of the month. Yep. And so I've been trying to get my muscle memory back on that. So I rocked that out a bit. Yep. But Midnight Suns, end of the story, very fitting for Midnight Suns. It's pretty meh. But the way it's executed... Chef's kiss. Like, top-notch. I, I did not understand what I was getting into going into the last mission, and I thought it was just beautifully done and completely uh, just, like... I don't, it was just completely unexpected. It gobsmacked me when I was actually playing through it, so... Oh, man, that reminds me. I picked up uh, Dark Ages by Tom Taylor, comic book mm, about mm-hmm. all technology stops working in the Marvel Universe, what happens next. Um, and I haven't got to it yet, but I definitely see Dracula attacking and vampiring apocalypse which is fun considering what we talk about and then i kept flipping through and i saw blade stabbing dracula a couple of times so (laughs) i guess this is gonna tie in in ways i wasn't expecting but on the giant projector we've only had it for a couple of days like installed because it was a process installing a 10 foot screen onto our uh, (laughs) scares the heck out of the cat anytime that we like lower or raise the giant screen Mm. but watched Star Trek Generations which is the first Star Trek the next generation movie they made it instead of season 8 it's the one where Captain Kirk shows up and then dies okay it's not a great movie it's a lot more fun than I think people give it credit for and then we started Star Trek Discovery season 4 because season five is coming out soonish, and I was like, "Well, this is just last night." I'm like, "Well, it'll." Uh, they always give us like one happyish episode, and then like drop the never-ending sadness on us. This is how Discovery generally rolls. No, no, they come out kicking on that for fourth season. Extremely good. Really looking forward to it. But uh, heavy stuff. But the the two things I was really going to talk about. Where one, I watched all of that '90s show. Oh, nice. Oh, okay. Which the, have either of you seen? The original? No, no, no. That '90s show the is. Yeah, well, because that '70s show oh, is the original. Sorry, yes. Yeah. That came out in the '90s. Yeah. And, I haven't um, watched the new one yet. No. It's really interesting to watch. Actually, like, I think it's not as good as early that '70s show, which, while it's aged in a few weird ways, especially with Danny Masterson being Danny mm-hmm. Masterson, uh, does remain a, an extreme high point, I think, of like how sitcoms should work. And then the later seasons were awful. Yeah. So it, it exists somewhere in between the two. It's not as good as early That 70s Show. It's better than later That 70s Show. It really made me miss Donna and Eric, because we don't get a lot of them. Okay. But there was a weird balance of like, I want more Don and Eric. But also, 
I want less of the original cast. You don't even show up that much because I want more of the kids. Mm -hmm. They announced a new season with 16 episodes instead of 10, and I actually think that's going to do them a lot of good. Just to give them more... Sitcoms can be 20-episode seasons and not be a problem. Like, we've talked before, you know, Flash, there's always that, like, five episodes where you're like, oh, for the love of God, you're mm -hmm. just spinning your wheels. Sitcoms don't necessarily have to have that same kind of problem. It is strange to see filmed in front of a live studio audience television in the year 2023. And maybe it's just because I don't watch a lot of, like, regular TV. I mostly watch genre TV, but right. all of... All of the comedies and sitcoms I watch, none of them are like that anymore. I mean, Letterkenny, Shorzy, Ted right. Lasso. Yeah, I swear I other I, things it's exist. Been a while like, since I have too now that I'm thinking about it. And I don't hate it. Like there's it, it's but it's a very unique style of television that feels archaic almost. It's yeah. kind of like when you watch the early episodes of WandaVision and they're doing stuff yeah, in yeah. like this is fifties. Mm -hmm. This is, you know, it, it definitely feels like the third episode or so. Like a parody. Mm -hmm. I've been kind of curious about it just cause I was like, I did watch all of that 70s show, but also uh, one of the writers on it is Andrew T who is uh, one of the co-hosts of the podcast. Yo, is this racist that I know I've brought up on the nice. show before. So I think that the kids are extremely charming. I don't think they have the same electricity as the original cast of like, I mean, the, the kids of that original cast came out swinging. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, that, that was really a unique situation. Uh, but I mean, it's, I really, as I said, I wanted more of them except for the Kelso kid, but I've always found the Kelsos the least interesting yeah, characters. Yeah. Not in a bad way. No, <laughs> just, like somebody's gotta be. And then... I mentioned a couple of months back that I wanted to get the Borderlands games. Our buddy Will, who's been on the show a few times, has uh, messaged me and he's like, don't buy it. And I'm like, what? Oh, God, why? And he's like, because I'm going to buy it for you. Merry Christmas. And it, it finally arrived like a month after Christmas. But sweet, I got Borderlands. Oh, yeah. So I spent, you know me, I don't game really heavily, mm -hmm. but I spent two days doing pretty much nothing but play the first Borderlands game. It's such a good game. Yeah. I've been really wanting to kind of pick up two again myself. Well, they have a collection that mm -hmm. you can buy, and I think it's a multiple that has one, the pre-sequel, and two. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I, I think it's about the same price, so it's, it's worth it. Um, but Borderlands and Borderlands 2, I never beat either one of them, but they were the last first-person shooters I put any time whatsoever into. So it was really interesting to go back to it and one, relearn stuff, and two, find out that game is so much harder with just one player than it is. <laughs> like, at first, for the first like 10 levels, you know, like level games, I was like, man, I'm really good at this game. And then I found a spot that proved that no, I'm not really good at this game. <laughs> I will say though, as much as I. As much as I'm enjoying it and laughing at the story and, like, getting really invested in it, if it were not for its extremely unique actual, like, physical style that kind of cell-shaded the bright colors, yeah. the, like, you know, the, the Borderlands look that you can't explain if you've not really played Borderlands, even with the good writing, I would not have kept up with this game. Like, it's such a, a part of it. Okay. 
I really want to play it on the giant screen now. Oh, that <laughs> sounds oh my great. God. Oh, my God. That sounds great. I, what have I been consuming? I've been watching some horror short films on YouTube. Oh, I also watched Skin Marink. Oh, yeah. I still uh, need to do that. Watched it, what? It It's an indie horror film. Oh, that's um, getting a ton of good, like, everybody's talking about it in that community. Yeah, so. it. It definitely is not the worst thing I've watched. Uh, I've watched some, <laughs> I've watched some projects that weren't done, <laughs> <laughs> um, but they make some liberties with like camera shots that, if you're not into that, can get very annoying and very tired very quickly. And the la- it's more of an experience. So if you're gonna watch it, I, you just watch it. You're not there for really for a story. But it was fun. Um, if it's if the type of stuff scares you, it's gonna scare you a lot. And if not, it's just gonna be a weird acid trip. It's still a weird acid trip. Um, <laughs> what else? Mostly not been doing a whole lot of stuff outside of work. So that's yeah. No, we it. talked about it. it's been a yeah. month. <laughs> uh, still gaming. I have not beat Midnight Suns yet. I have that on hold. Um, I've been playing Elden Ring again though to get ready for the DLC drop that will eventually happen. So I started my solo level run run, and it's going well. I'm already at uh, Radagon. I. I can't even contemplate doing a soul level run one run. Like what's, what's the trick in your opinion? What's the secret? <laughs> a lot of luck, a lot of patience, um, and summons. <laughs> oh yeah. Summons it help. <laughs> yeah. Um, I also started a, uh, deprived run with the club and all I'm using is a club. And I, I think I killed almost all the main bosses on the first night. Okay. And the club is really good. Turns out it staggers almost everybody. Who would have thought? <laughs> a naked know. man with a club is very dangerous. <laughs> yeah, you get hit with a big piece of wood and see how you respond to it. I mean, I get hit with foam. <laughs> <laughs> and I've seen how you respond to it. <laughs> yeah. Now, they can magnify that, I suppose, and they have your answer. <laughs> uh, aside from that, I'm still playing Tarkov. Uh, I am looking to build my own horror game at some point now, so I'm taking notes in other games that I like, and we'll see what happens. So, nice. Yeah. Okay. Oh, you might... Be amused. I I read a, more of the uh, Magic the Gathering ongoing comic book series. Oh, that's yeah. by Jed McKay, writer of Death of Doctor Strange. I mention that every time, and it switched to different Planeswalkers. And I have a new favorite Planeswalker, and I'm so mad that I have like opinions on Magic the Gathering now, even <laughs> though I actively don't play the game. You're surrounded with people who do. As a matter of time, I was like, no, I I, I so successfully avoided this with 40k. <laughs> don't do it with Magic. We're still, we're going to have to do a magic episode at some point. Cool. I have ideas of how to go about it, and you were real invested in the game, so you probably have better ones. I don't um, really have good ideas, but <laughs> I, I could capitalize on your ideas from when I did play a lot. It's, oh God, his name's like Garuk or something like oh, that. Oh yeah, he's Garuk. Garuk? How do you say it? I, I know who you're talking about. Garuk. Oh, yeah. so he must be old enough to... Yeah, he's pretty uh, old. Okay. I'm reading a comic that is like the next volume hasn't been released yet. So I have, other than the fact that I know Chandra's been around for a while, I don't have a whole lot of concept of where this comes from, but annoying demon man's being a dick and then suddenly angry guy with an axe appears out of nowhere and his entire <laughs> mission is like, all right, I'm going to kill this Tybalt guy. He annoyed me. That sounds Game. right. Yep, that he sounds is my exactly now. right. <laughs> I think Garak was finished... I think are perfected. I think he was perfected recently. A lot of the old guard have been perfected, and so. It, what it, does that mean? 
Uh, there's an alien race called the Phyrexians, and they... No, I know who the Phyrexians are. Uh, so... Oh, he was turned into a Phyrexian? I think he's one of them that was recently... Well, because there's that... Did it just drop, or is it still coming up, I, the new big Phyrexian set? I don't know. I haven't pre-ordered this one. I'm just going to buy singles. But I know a lot of the older Planeswalkers have been perfected, and it's making room for younger Planeswalkers, so we can... I'm feeling like it's a like a reboot or like a, a reset so we can get mm. some newer stories in there because we've had Jace, who's been perfected now, and tons of other people. Jace is a ghost in this! How do you perfect a ghost? <laughs> but it's nice because now we can have newer Planeswalkers that haven't been around since before I was born. So, <laughs> Well, I'm just going to lie down in the dirt and die. But, uh... <laughs> so, yeah, okay. We watched, we're recording this day after the Super Bowl. I'm assuming Tyler's the only one who might have watched the Super Bowl of the three of us, but... I was getting caught up on uh, Last of Us. Infinitely more important. I would, I would agree. Yeah, also, I'm a Raiders fan, so, like, I did not care to watch the Chiefs win, which is <laughs> kind of what I figured was I didn't know who was playing, so now I know one of the two people who were playing. <laughs> um, but because of that, we have... We went to watch multiple new trailers, but honestly, only a couple of them gave us anything, I think, to really talk about. Yeah, like the indie one is barely much more than what we've seen already. It's like 10 seconds of very hastily edited new stuff, and then just put that on top of the original trailer. Dial of Destiny is a bad name. Yay, we've said that already. All right. Um, It really is, though. Like, I'm going to cry, but can we just let Harrison Ford die at this point? He really loves playing Indiana Jones is the only problem. Yeah, but... Oof. It does make me think of Dial H for Hero every time, which is <laughs> a hard one to translate over. Um, uh, what else did we watch? Fast oh, 10. I might get caught up on that entire series just to watch Fast 10 in all of its glory. As you pointed out, it's we're going to watch Jason Momoa be Jason Momoa, but as, like, I don't know if he's playing a Colombian drug lord, but he sure seems to, like, the way they're, like, dressing him and the way he's presenting sure reminds me of, like, a lot of Colombian drug lords from 90s action films. Well, it seems like he was somehow connected to... Paul Walker's character? That's what I got. It seemed like he was connected to somebody that got killed when they were heisting the DVD players in the first movie. And so now he's planning his eternal... God, that move, those movies have come so far. And I'm not saying in good or bad ways. I just... I mean, there are ten of them. There's a lot of ground to cover. I'm, I'm just wondering how he's going to become part of the gang. We just talk about power creep in comic books, but like... <laughs> That's got nothing on the fast Superman has punched holes in the universe, and that still seems That's like fine. less than what uh, then Vin, Vin Diesel's, Diesel's character car suddenly I don't know becoming heavier so that it can drag those helicopters, <laughs> helicopters? together. Yeah, I saw that because they had it up in the air. It shouldn't be able to do anything at that point. No. But it or just... landing on an armored vehicle and crushing it, but not slowing down or ruining any part of his car. But apparently the big bad guy from the last one looks like he might not be the big bad guy this time. From what I understand is that's kind of a running theme in like the last like six of them. Yeah. Is that if you introduce a bad guy and they're cool enough, they find some way to make them part of the family. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, he was, I know because they were not subtle about it, that he was his brother or something. So it's not hard for him to be like, family. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that voice wasn't too far off. <laughs> <laughs> I've been watching a lot of Vin Diesel since I was a kid. Actually, I haven't watched a Vin Diesel movie in years other than the Guardians movies. But I was about uh, to say, the other good thing he's good at saying is I am Groot, which was a poster. I am Groot. Yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, which brings us to the one that I by far have the most feels about, which is Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. This was a better trailer than the last one. And the last trailer was a pretty good trailer. Mm-hmm. Um, someone's going to die, and it's either going to be Drax, Star-Lord, or Rocket. Or all three. Or all three, which would wreck me. Didn't um, the actor of Drax say he doesn't want to play Drax anymore? Yeah, he said that he won't play Drax without James Gunn doing it. Sure. So, but I mean, that doesn't mean the character's going to die. That's just retiring the character or hiring a new person to play it. Like, it mm-hmm. happens. I don't feel like they'd show the who, because they have the scene near the end of the trailer where he's being carried. Darla's being carried. Looks like he's dead. I doubt that would show actually who's being killed in that movie. No, well, and, like, none of the team are acting like he's dead in that scene. Like, they all just look like he Dorks. was... A, Dumb and, <laughs> yeah, they, it's like he got was dumb and got knocked out in a bar fight or something, yeah. and they're walking away they after they to, cleaned like, it slow. up. Okay, yeah, and there's and they're obviously in someone's organs in some of those scenes. Rocket looks like he's possibly dying in some of those things, but also like in the recent Donny Cates Guardians of the Galaxy run, it looked like Rocket was dying and just Always. needed, so it would be easy enough to like. Trains. I don't know. I'm really interested in it. James Gunn has not made a superhero thing that I've disliked. So. I mean, they're obviously, if nothing else, going into Rocket's origins in a big way, which presented the right way is going to make people cry anyway. Well, yeah. and bringing Rocket and the High Evolutionary together is an amazing idea. It makes so much sense. It makes so much sense. I am so into the actor who played Mern in Peacemaker, whose name I do not know because I just think of him as Mern. Mm-hmm. Playing the High Evolutionary. Looks great. Looks so good. And the High Evolutionary is a lot like Kang. Like, he's a big-name villain who is paper-thin on personality. So hiring really good actors to actually give them personality, like they also seem to be doing with Kang, is something I'm super into. Speaking of Kang, Creed 3 trailer, Jonathan Majors. Oh, yeah. I'm hyped for this just because I'm a big Rocky guy, and it was... Like some of my earlier memories with my family is watching boxing. And I stuff. know I've seen the first two Rocky movies. And I know the third one has a robot. Fourth one? One of them has him with like, here's my robot butler. Mm-hmm. That happens. <laughs> yeah, you're right. That happens. <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> Paulie gets a robot butler. Oh my yeah. God. That was um, a memory I surprised. He's like, all right, so I've apparently completely missed what makes these first movies important. Plus, I'm I'm just so, so curious to see uh, Michael B. Jordan directing it. Mm-hmm. I really like Michael B. Jordan, so I think it'll probably be pretty good. I do feel for him that he the first movie he's directing, he has to, not has to, but is starring in as well. Because apparently that's super hard to do. So, I don't know if this is true or not, but I've heard that that was a tip that he did kind of get from Stallone. Because of the way that, like... You can set yourself up for life by ending up with like multiple, especially higher uh, above the line roles on a movie and just the way it affects 
like getting residuals and stuff in the future. Uh, Sly Stallone famously has directed a lot of his own movies, but even the ones he hasn't directed, he almost always makes sure that they give him a version of the script. Like it's in his contract that if you hire him as an actor, that he gets to go over the script and basically change enough that you have to credit him as a writer as well. Well, I I don't even just mean like, I'm sure financially you're a hundred percent right. It just seems like a really hard way to learn how to direct is to do it while you have to be in the scene. It makes me think of um, part of the problems that Star Trek three had is Leonard Nimoy directed it, but he also starred in it, but he also had to be like, he's unconscious in a lot of the scenes that he's in. So he had to attempt to direct a movie while like laying down on the floor with his eyes closed while being like, all right, I think that take was pretty good. I couldn't see it, but I think he's going to kill it. He's been in um, prestige formats since he was like 14 on the wire. Mm. Like he's seen a bunch of different directors over the years and how they do it. And he's been on sets most of his life at this point. Oh, he's a great actor. Dude. Mm-hmm. Like, so I'm really curious to see what he pulls off with the directing part of it. As, as excited as I am to see what the, the new movies coming forth were, I was really looking forward to Michael B. Jordan playing Superman, mm. mm-hmm. which is not happening anymore. I assume maybe, yeah, actually, who knows? Um, hey, have we actually? No, because about of that? the timeline stuff. Uh, they announced a bunch of new movies. Well, should we talk about the Flash first, yes. and then we can go into okay, it? Okay, that because actually that, that, that fits. Fair. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> that. Uh... Yeah. Welcome to the Ezra Miller. <laughs> seems to have done some very shitty things lately, but that trailer makes me more excited than I have been about this movie this entire time. As soon as I saw Zod. Zod is really the spot that I wasn't expecting that I'm kind of into. I still kind of don't care about Keaton Bat, but that's a different conversation. As, as we mentioned, he put you see him in that costume and you're like, wow, that really was 35 years ago, wasn't it? No offense, bud. You're looking great. But, but I'm all about Anton Firth Batmobile. I do. You do love that. I love that Batmobile. You adore that Batmobile. That's the Batmobile. <laughs> um, <laughs> there is no other. So, I mean, with Ezra Miller, I have sympathy for he seemed to have a complete mental break, which is tough enough to do, let alone with the level of celebrity that they were getting. Mm -hmm. And like, I, I would have sympathy even to the point of like, he got reported for breaking into some old people's home or something is like one of the many stories I've heard. Mm hmm. Is that the but one it, that just got settled? I don't one know. One of them just got I've settled. I've not been keeping close eye, but it sure sounds like he might have kidnapped somebody at one point. And that's the one where I'm like, okay, we have to kind of draw a line here. Like, you're going to cancel the Leslie Grace Batgirl movie, but still release the one where the kidnapper is your main star? It's Batman. It sounds, no, it's The Flash! I know. <laughs> it sounds like, and this leads into what we were talk, going to talk about with the DC of it all, that this is a version of Flashpoint that wipes the slate clean enough that it's like, we kind of need this for going forward. I don't feel like you do, but I recognize that we have become so obsessed with continuity in between movies that I guess we do. And I don't know. I'm not, I just, it doesn't help that I have never once cared about Flashpoint. I did until it, 
<laughs> this fat sounds bad, but I did until they made it like a one and a half episode arc on the Flash. Yeah, that's fair. I just there are other Flash stories you can tell. But, I mean, I'm also a Wally West guy. I don't find Barry that interesting in the first place, so Barry messes up again, and it's the, like, tenth time we've seen a version of this story doesn't super grab me. And now I have to deal with two Barrys. How about Kara? Kara, I'm much more interested in, and considering they've announced a Supergirl movie coming forward, if she's good, I would love her to, like, still play Supergirl. Um, I think it's really interesting that she's wearing the John Kent, Son of Kal-El, Superman uniform instead of the traditional mm. Supergirl look. Mm -hmm. And it is, like, as close to picture-perfect translation from the comic book, except on Kara instead of on John. Affleck was looking a little Conroy. That's just because he's, like, 60. That's now, true, but whatever. Like, <laughs> I don't mind being reminded of the Batman. Yeah. And it sure looked like he had almost like the Dark Knight's Bat Pod. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it went by too quickly to see for sure, but I think the Batman that's kind of like getting pulled along the side of the highway or something or along like a railing in that really quick action shot seemed to be his um, armored fighting Superman suit. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Uh, I do like someone did a, a screenshot and they found there's one point where you see like six different versions of the Keaton bat suit mm. and they have one in the blue and gray, which they've never done live action before. Ooh, I need to find that screenshot. Batman wore blue and gray for most of the seventies and eighties instead of black and gray. Cause mm. it, I don't know they just decided it worked better. It actually did look really good. So. I might be wrong, but I think blue technically works better for, like, night camouflage because it blends more. Black sticks out against more I've stuff. heard grays and dark greens do very similar things. Actual black doesn't work because you're not seeing actual black. Mm -hmm. So it, it kind of pops in a weird way. The D, so the DC of it all. We have a blueprint. They announce things. This is a while ago now. I'm sure anyone who's listening already kind of knows, but... We can throw in a little bit of our two cents, I figure. James, we've actually talked about doing a few episodes based off this. James Gunn has announced the first slate of DC movies and TV shows. Now, this could still change because we remember when they announced the first slate of, I guess, Snyderverse version of uh, movies. There are some big differences that he announced. They're not going to give them um, release dates until they have a script in place. Thank Christ. Which is why you'll notice they only had release dates on like two of them, something like that. The other ones were all just like, these are in development as being part of the DCU. And then he also enumerated, there's going to be other projects that aren't DCU that will be clearly labeled Elseworlds, which is the part that I loved. Yeah, that lets them still do, you know, the sequel to the Batman, because I really liked the Batman. And the mm -hmm. farther I get from it, the more I liked the Batman. Uh, we know that that Joker sequel's still coming. Don't I care, don't but care, more power but it's to coming. it. I wonder where Aquaman Lady Gaga's a great actress. So, like, I'm kind of curious to see her as Harley, but... Yeah, that's the most interesting part of this. I mm -hmm. just... Uh, James Gunn is at least writing, possibly directing, a Superman film mm -hmm. called Superman Legacy that is focused on him trying to balance his human and Kryptonian sides. Everything about that sentence I love as the Superman fan of this circle. 
And I think he also said that they are very firmly going for a PG-13 rating with it. Great. Superman doesn't have to be R-rated and sepia-toned. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but he also doesn't need to be rated G either. No, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Superman can say blank. <laughs> I'm not allowed to swear in this podcast, but Gunn so, understands how to do heartfelt and kind of funny and like tap into the stuff that you think would usually be too goofy to work. I mean, he made Starro work. He's got, I'm not worried at all about Superman. Which is why I'm super excited that it seems like the first thing we're going to be getting is Creature Commandos. Which is awesome. Uh, as a huge fan of Frankenstein, Agent of Shade, I'm really hoping they'll lean into some of that. Um, he's definitely on the team, especially because we've already seen artwork. It's animated. I guess it's a decent away amount along in production. I love that they're treating animated things seriously in it, too. It sounds like all those characters at some point at least have the possibility of crossing over mm -hmm. into the live action. We are getting a Waller TV show that kind of feels like they're doing a Book of Boba Fett with it because they're using at least some of the characters from Peacemaker. Mm -hmm. But Peacemaker Season 2 is on hold because James Gunn is extremely busy and John Cena is wrestling again, I guess. And I think Waller had technically already been announced. This was just kind of like the, it's firmly going to be part of yes everything that's happening. It's going to be canon. It's not going to be an Elseworlds, that sort of thing. Uh, they've announced a Booster Gold TV show. Love Booster Gold. Really want them to do Donald Faison because he was Booster Gold for one episode of Legends of Tomorrow, and then it got canceled. The Authority. The Authority, which is a... Which I think has caused the Authority comics to sell out in a lot of places In a place that no one was buying the Authority anymore. Uh, the Authority is a comic, we'll actually probably do an episode on this pretty soon, by Warren Ellis and Brian Hitch. It is directly responsible for comic books as we know them today, and it is directly responsible for the MCU, because Brian Hitch reinvented his art style for The Authority to do what is known as widescreen comic books. It's a much more cinematic approach to how you tell a comic book story and how you panel it. His job on The Authority led to him getting the job on The Ultimates, and The Ultimates, whatever I may think of them, which is not great things, is what led to the stylization of the early MCU mm -hmm. movies. So you can track a direct line of Brian Hitch being bored of how they were telling comics to comic books, comic book movies are the biggest medium in the world when it comes to money-making right now, when it comes to... To media. My first thought was, oh my god, yes, live action Midnight or Napoleon. Oh, 100%. That's the only thing I care about this. I would, I want, this is the one I want <laughs> James Gunn to direct. Yes. Yes. Oh, he would get so beautifully brutal with Midnighters. So we've covered Midnighter years ago now at this point on General Nerdy. Do you have any idea what I'm talking about when we say that? I had listened to the episode. Okay. But it was a while ago. Uh, for those of you who do not know, Midnighter and Apollo were originally introduced in Wildstorm, which was a... It's since been absorbed into DC proper, but it was a small company owned by DC that was a founding part of Image. Not important. Uh, Midnighter and Apollo were gay, not parodies, but I guess pastiche. Yeah, they're kind of. Oh, um, they're different enough that homage? they're more homages. Maybe? Yes, homage. 
they they're originally created as homages of Batman and Superman as a gay couple. And I don't think they were originally intended to go farther, but when they reworked Stormwatch into the Authority, he brought those two characters back and they became kind of the breakout stars of the Authority. As they should. And this, Midnighter got an amazing solo series a few years later. This, in a roundabout way, also gives me hope that we will end up with a live-action Grifter. Yeah, I would love that. Also, it gives us a live-action angry gay Batman. <laughs> and considering how mad the right kind of people have been getting... When I say how the right kind of people, I mean all of the worst people mm-hmm. are getting over a very tame halftime show and fake devil horns during the Grammys. Oh, they're going to be angry (laughs) when they find out the angry gay Batman is going to be dominating the big screen. Oh, it's going to be so good. I'm excited. Uh, What else? I swamp thing was the last one announced Uh, a Supergirl woman of tomorrow based off Tom King, Supergirl run, which uh, is supposed to be incredible, but I haven't read it. Well, and, um, that reminds me that part of all this, and I don't have all the names in front of me, but Gunn had announced everybody who's been working on his writing staff um, outlining the storyline that this first uh, block is going to be, and Tom King is one of those people. Mm-hmm. And this whole first block is what, Gods and Monsters? Something, something like, like that. that. Uh, and then, oh, The Brave and the Bold, which is a new Batman movie that is about Bruce Wayne and his son Damien. Not Arbats. Not Arbats. They say it's based off the Grant Morrison run, but it stars Bruce Wayne, so we'll see how much it's based off the Grant Morrison run. But the idea is they really want to lean into the wider Bat family, which has never really been done in Batman movies. We've got Alfred and Robin is the only... Well, and I guess Batgirl, but... Mm-hmm. Kind of. We don't really like to talk about the Batman and Robin movie, and the Chris O'Donnell Robin was 20 years ago. More than 20 years ago. <laughs> and 20 years older than Robin should be. <laughs> yeah, he was in his 30s, and they're like, you need to adopt him, Bruce. I'm like, I don't think you do. I don't think that, no. <laughs> this isn't how it works, is it? Like, if he's if he's getting adopted, can I get adopted? <laughs> it kind of makes me think of the weirdo congressman who might be going to prison who adopted a full-grown adult so he could, like, claim to have an adopted Cuban son. (laughs) That tracks, yeah. (laughs) Yep. Uh, Not diving into that one, sorry. Uh, Let's see. And then, yeah, Swamp Thing. Who, as soon as that was announced, apparently James Mangold was like, I would kind of like to direct that, which, as the director of Logan, I would like to give everything to him. (laughs) I would love... Of course, he's also the one doing that new indie, which looks... I think it looks fine, bad name aside. (laughs) My only problem with the new indie is Dial of Destiny is a bad name. But we've already talked about that on this episode alone, so I will move on. Yeah. Uh, And then there's another TV show we're forgetting about, but I can't think of what it is. Oh, yeah, there is I'm not worried about it. And apparently Blue Beetle is standalone enough that although it comes out before the new DCU officially starts, there's no reason why they're not going to work him in later basically mm. and Shazam 2 is still coming out it's not yes. out yet still coming out this year this year oh man uh, they announced it 
I think just today they were talking about it. Mark Wade is writing a new Shazam series, hmm. and he got permission to not call him Shazam oh. in it because he hates that. Because mm-hmm. the, the point is, when you say Shazam, you turn into Captain Marvel. So having him called Shazam is hard. Doesn't really and it's work. Dumb. <laughs> but they can't call him Captain Marvel, so he's just been dubbed the Captain, which is eh, but it's close enough that, like, it's fine. The fact that I still call Billy Captain Marvel works, and I was worried they were going to call him Captain Shazam, so, like... The Captain's better than Captain Shazam. Yeah, man. Yeah, I'll take that. Or the, like, brief page where Black Adam considered calling himself Shazadam. <laughs> Ooh, hate that. Yeah. I kind of wish they would have stuck So did that. everyone. <laughs> hate that a it lot. It was literally never mentioned again. They were like, oh. no. Not not Shazam, Shazadam, and they show a picture of Captain of Black Adam, and they never mentioned it again. I want that on a shirt. Shazadam. <laughs> Shazadam. Oh, okay. Is that it? I think that's everything, and we've been going for like forty-five minutes, so I think it's time to take a quick break and then to talk about what we're actually here to talk about. Play two. Guillermo del Toro. warned us last time that Blade 1 is actually a better movie than Blade 2, and I don't know like if... a better I'm, Blade story. I think. It has a story. So, like, it... it uh, Hot start. I didn't know if I was going to believe you, and then I watched this, and I can... Okay, one, yes, I had a lot of fun watching this movie. There's things that I think held up extremely well. But as a kid, I was like, Blade 2 is an infinitely better movie, but, like, part of my brain was going, is it? And watching as an adult, I understand. If you want cool action things, Blade 2 is infinitely better than Blade 1. Yes. If you want a movie with a beginning, middle, and end and plot involved, that's not Blade 2. Blade 2 is six action movies or action scenes with some exposition in between. <laughs> yeah. You're not wrong. <laughs> um I actually did more research than I normally do for this one. I'm, I only did half as much as I was intending to do. I've watched this movie like four times now in the past two weeks. One of those times being with uh, GDT and one of the producers' uh, commentary. Okay. I meant to also get in the David Goyer and Wesley Snipes commentary. Oh man, that's got to be a trip. But that I didn't allow myself enough time for that. Um, it happens. You watched it four times. That's enough. Again, I actually really did enjoy this movie. There was just a lot of watching where I was like, wow, this is <laughs> cool. Huh? <laughs> I still think this is I'll stand by this being an infinitely better movie because everything about it being a movie is done better except for the actual story. I agree. Like, even from the first scene, you can see there's an actual director behind this. Like, oh, there's 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 movement. There's, like, a direction we're going. I like, mean, the production values, the stuff like that, like, cinematography, like, actual technical stuff, I agree with you. When it comes to telling a story, I wildly disagree with you. <laughs> um, but, I mean, also, it's not necessarily a bad thing. This is an action set piece. That's okay to have in movies. We did an entire episode on Gunpowder Milkshake, which is the same thing. It does sound like um, a good portion uh, of what you're running into is the David Goyer script. 
which he's very. He knows what he wants. <laughs> no, so GDT, GDT on the commentary is uh, very political about what he says about it, and make sure not to really. Bad mouth Goyer at well, any yeah, point. God, how rude would that, poor David Goyer watching it and having just Guillermo be like, he's bad. <laughs> but some of the things he says makes it very clear that he was also not a fan of the script and only had so much uh, leeway in what he could actually change, especially with just some of their weird shooting schedule stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, it sounds like some of the changes he made were definitely way for the better though oh tell me okay yeah we'll jump so towards the end when blade has to give nissa the his blood so that she lives in the sewers Mm -hmm. that was scripted to be a 20 minute scene ending with them having a sex scene well in fairness in the first movie when he was feeding he was straight up humping like it's just i almost kissed his mom That was the first movie. (laughs) I know vampire movies are always sexual, but damn, these movies really lean into the, we're talking about sex with the feeding parts. We're thirsty, but not for blood. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That being said, I think he didn't, he didn't. A 20 minute scene. A 20 minute scene. They cut it from 20 minutes to two minutes. That's insane. Thank God. (laughs) How did that ever (laughs) I don't know. Apparently okay. there was other things. It sounds like he didn't get a chance to make very many additions. He basically only had the authority to cut things. And so it was like, cut it we all. don't need this. This is really bad. <laughs> we don't need this. This is really well, bad. Well, this is before Yarma was... This, so this is going to be his second English language film. Mm-hmm. And his fourth overall, uh, being preceded by Kronos, mm-hmm. uh, Mimic, and The Devil's Backbone. Mm-hmm. Which, he, so he's starting to get critical acclaim off of Kronos and Devil's Backbone, but this is really his big step into Hollywood. And name recognition's not really going to start until, like, Hellboy, and it's not really until, oh god, what is it, uh, Pan's Labyrinth, I think, where people yeah. started really going, Guillermo del Toro. Yeah, Pan's is definitely, like, the huge breakout, like, people... Like I said, Kronos and Devil's Backbone, both of those especially, already had, like, mm-hmm. fun, like you know, the type of people who already go to art house films all the time. Like, yeah. they knew who he was. It starts to build, and then that kind of comes together and it has huge crossover appeal, where it's not just, like, all the people following him because of Mimic and Blade and Hellboy, and not only just, like, the f- indie art people. But everyone was like, oh, this movie's amazing, and it's kind of sad, but kind of like, ooh, and like, you can interpret the end happy if you want. If you want. He does. He really does. Just so you know, yeah. Pants Labyrinth? Yeah. You know what? I feel very justified for, I mean, I always had this. I was such the kid that was like, no, it ends happy. And you're like, no, in The Giver, he froze to death at the end of the movie and was hallucinating. Like, or I guess book. Um, I mean, I think he he very much intentionally made it so that you could interpret it that way. But his personal interpretation is the happy, like, magic exists and she went to go be in the fairyland. When I was a kid, I insisted that you couldn't prove that Spike died at the end of Cowboy Bebop. That's fair. He collapsed in a pile of his own blood. <laughs> um, 
I will say it does sound like GDT kind of recognized the script for what it was and the influences. This is why, like, you're not wrong when it's just a bunch of action set pieces put together. He continually references the fact that he tried to make this seem kind of like an anime. That, now that you point it out, yep, the pacing is exactly right for it. I also, as I said, I came in hot. I really did enjoy watching this movie. I think Blade 1 is a better movie. I think Blade 2 is fun. And it has so many things that I love and that really influenced me as a creator growing up. Like, even though he's the worst person on the screen, the vampire with the big hammer... Man, I was a sucker for any vampire-related character with a big hammer. It's him and Nolte the Marcus mar- from yes, Vampire Hunter D. I could never remember his name, but the, <laughs> the other so big hammer guy Marcus. from uh, uh, Vampire D. Bloodlust. Like, anytime mm-hmm. there's the undead and you have a giant hammer, the character's going to die. But I think they're going in with the right idea. <laughs> the undead and a character with a giant hammer with face tattoos. Yeah, man. He never, like, fully name-checks it, but there's no way that Light Hammer wasn't just supposed to be Nalt Marcus. Did that... Which came out first? A Bloodlust would have oh, came cool. out first. Okay. Yeah. He does... I will... Just because he name-checks very specific animes and mangas, I'll bring Please. them up. He does definitely name-check uh, Wicked City... Demon City Shinjuku and Ninja Scroll multiple times. Nice. Demon Scroll's the only one of those I've seen. We were in high school and the mother came in right during a, like a pretty explicit sex scene in Demon Scroll, and so we almost weren't allowed to finish it, which is my main memory of it. But like now that you say that, um, I can see it. Um, other things that definitely influenced, uh, I think. He hadn't got the job yet, but was on the short list for Hellboy at the time. Mm. Uh, I think he was like one of three directors at this point that were that were up for the job. And it was like starting to be in the trades like looks like GDT got it. So um, Scud does wear a BPRD shirt. Nice. And Mignola worked on this doing oh. some of the design. Uh, he actually designed the the table that spikes blade at the end that's such an over-the-top table and it makes sense that mike mignola would be the one to design that that is somehow even worse than like their setup for stealing his blood in the first movie (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) well they maybe they thought we don't need two slabs of stone we just need one (laughs) it'll be faster and actually if you look at the framing and uh the shadow work and stuff Blade walking up out of the blood pool is directly based off of Mignola's artwork. Like, that was GDT being like, I love you, dude. Like, oh, here's, Mign- here's the Mignola shot. Mignola is such a, such a, so much shadows in his work. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. That scene is real cool. Everything about this movie is cool. It's just doofy at the same time is really where I'm struggling. Not struggling, but... I think it's mostly that the story barely involved, like, it's a blade light story. Uh-huh. This story can almost happen with just the vampires, and it's probably would have been better. Just, it would have been more drawn out because they wouldn't have had the expertise of blade on their side, but it kind of all would have ended up happening arguably the same way. Yeah. Some of the weird, the only real problem I have with this movie is the, like, almost romance that happens with the vampire princess. Once again, that sounds like it was Goyer. 
And I'm not, like, I could see, especially because they actually had surprising chemistry for the man who doesn't actually show emotions throughout this mm -hmm. entire film. But, like, if you're going to do it, do it. Not just... Well, they won't think she's dead. Out of nowhere. And then suddenly Blade's like, I will save this woman's life. Mm -hmm. No, you wouldn't. You're Blade. Nyssa is the only character that really has an arc and shows any growth in this movie. Oh, yeah. And I think it's partially because here's the other thing. Uh, Wesley wasn't on set that much. He actually had, I think, at least two, maybe three other movies coming out that year. One of which he was also the producer and star of. So he had to go do press work. That's insane. Was this his tax evasion era? This would have been right before. I don't know if he was evading taxes on this one or not. Like, I <laughs> didn't go that deep into his paperwork. Well, yeah, fair enough. I just... But this was... I was going to use this as an opportunity to bring up. Do you guys know what a fake shemp is? No. I have heard it mentioned. I don't know what it is. I love the term partially because it's a super old practice, but we get the term from uh, genre royalty. Uh, the term fake shemping comes from the Raimis. Uh, because the production of Evil Dead is such a storied and legendary production uh, in the annals of Hollywood history. Mm -hmm. People have talked about it again and again and again and asked them about it. They've told those stories thousands of times. And so they always refer to what they were having to do by the end of production as fake shemping because they are giant uh, Three Stooges fans. Fake shemping is when like, you just have a back shot of somebody and you don't have that actor anymore, so you have somebody else fill in. Gotcha. Oh, okay. Like it's heavy like, use of doubles. Heavy use of doubles um, in very specific things. Uh, it they call it fake shamping as a reference to the fact that there was obviously the Three Stooges, Larry Curley and Mo. Uh, not as well known is the other brother Shemp, who appeared in a couple of their features. The actor that played Shemp dies at one point but they're still on the hook to finish the picture that they were working on. So they make a fake shemp and just do a lot of back shots. Okay. On the Evil Dead, by the end of production, there was only five people on set. One of those was Sam Raimi directing and not being on screen. And another one of those people were was a guy that they had, uh, hired to be the cook. So there was only three people actually acting the entire like back half of that production. So anytime you see anybody that isn't Bruce, it's also not who the actor was at the beginning of the movie. That's crazy. That's, that's such a good movie. That's wild. And in a good amount of shots in this movie, if you're not seeing Wesley Snipes from the front, it's, it's not it's Wesley not him. Snipes. That's awesome. <laughs> oh, God. The Blade movies increasingly sound like nightmares behind the scenes. Like, I will watch anything with Ron Perlman in it. That's just what I'm and coming Kat. to accept about myself. And Cat. Dan, uh, Danny John Jules. Danny John Jules. Thank you. Proving he's actually pretty cool. I mean, he's always been cool, but like goofy cool is how I think of him. Mm -hmm. But no, he's actually he's straight cool. Kind of intimidating like yeah. when he wants to be. Honestly, also Norman Reedus. He did a good job. That did throw me that that was baby Norman Reedus. Uh, as Scud? As Scud. I felt like that his betrayal was not... There was no reason for him to betray at, at any point. Like, it was kind of like a... I didn't like that story point at all. <laughs> How he died was over the top and so sudden <laughs> that I loved it. He's like, I'm starting to like that kid. <laughs> it was a weird, like, oh, 
is Whistler going to be a bad guy? But they don't really commit to that red herring. And then it turns out it was Scud. And I couldn't quite tell. Was Scud already a vampire thrall when he meets Blade? Or does he get yes. converted partway through? The whole time. I think it was the whole time. If not, though, Blade... I mean, Blade says directly, he's like, I know as soon as they... I, I knew so. as soon as they turned you, so I just didn't know if he was like, I knew when I met you, or or what. But I do have the question of this. And I enjoyed watching Scud get blown up as much as I'm with was... Whistler. I'm starting to like that kid. One, Scud, why are you going to be dumb enough to do like your betrayal when Blade is right next to you? They're not going to protect you. <laughs> They'll let him kill you. But two... I had always assumed Scud built the little Suicide Squad head bomb thing. Because I don't see Blade being a big tech guy for creating a Suicide Squad style head bomb. And then he's like, oh, it's a fake. But it's not. Where did he get the Suicide Squad head bomb? I don't know, but I love it. <laughs> it was a well done series of moments. It's just. Weary. I mean, any action movie, you can't really stop and think too much about plot No, lines. and don't about this movie. But, uh, I just, two things. <laughs> One, that we already knew the vampires were going to betray him. Like, from the get-go, they kept saying, it's only going to end when we kill each other, basically. That's going to be the Yeah, end. they were not mm -hmm. subtle about it. So you didn't need Scud to do that. We, when, he, when they were in the lair, we knew they weren't getting out without a fight. Like, that's just... I do see a bit of an argument for why to do it, because you have all of these moments of you know they're going to eventually fight. So having the punch come from the one person they haven't set up as a potential throwing the punch, I guess I kind of see the logic, but they it did kind of come out of nowhere. Yeah. I mean, they could have, what could have, if, which isn't possible, obviously, because the script was what it was, but Scud could have just become a protege of Whistler and Whistler could have retired after this. That could have been the story arc done. Although I didn't like watching it get blown up. That was funny. Two, I didn't like how they dropped, I forget her name in the first movie, the love interest to Blade. Oh, yeah. Although you kind of got the indication she wasn't going to keep hanging out with him no, at it. But they don't mention her or the serum she had in the first movie that made vampires blow up like a <laughs> like that popcorn you cook on the stove, Jiffy Pop. Mm -hmm. And they just, they don't mention it. Like, there's this thing that can cure vampirism and kill vampires. We're not going to use it. <laughs> <laughs> Reminds me, I do have one question because so we already know the ultraviolet light stuff and they set up the like light bombs, which one, I don't know if more orbs is going to do that much of an effect for creating a bigger <laughs> light bomb. But like, is diving under the water going to really probably not just that sounds like another thing that's just straight out of the dumb script. Yeah. yeah. And I just not to keep beating up on this script. But they treat it like a normal bomb, except it's just light. Mm -hmm. Like, Blade's also running from the light bomb. That's so true. he doesn't he doesn't full-on do it, but, like, it's not full-on how we're used to seeing it in the comics. But the way that the edges and the texture of the light bombs is presented was that was supposed to be GDT's doing his homage to Kirby Dots. Oh, I need to rewatch that now, see if I can see that. That's cool. 
Uh, Kirby Dots was a style that Jack Kirby used to depict both space and or energy, depending on what was going on at the time. Gotcha. Uh, because we at the time, this is like the 40s through the 70s, they didn't really have the ability to just, here's a real picture of space in the background, or like, you know, what we can do with a lot of computer illustration now. So you had to come up with interesting ways of showing energy without being able to just do like modern effects. Gotcha. It looks super cool. <laughs> I liked the tone of the movie throughout the entire movie was amazing. But that's just Del Toro being Del Toro. Mm-hmm. Uh, it I liked the 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 slower parts that had a lot of like not like in your face horror, but more like that's not right. Like that's a little weird, that's mm-hmm. unnerving, um, and the gross factor of this new strain of vampirism. It was like super cool. So like when you had mentioned taking Blade out of the movie, if you just took if this just wasn't in the Blade universe or the MCU, yeah, yeah. and it was just the vampires, this would just be a... And it's just, just a decent... A not the best, but it's a decent... like Yeah, like the concept is great. If Del Toro had more rain over it, that'd be a decent horror movie. Like, mm-hmm. there's some really cool things that happen. I'm like, I like that shot. Like, some of the... Sh- when they're, like, climbing into the sewer, and, like, it gets super compressed. Like, the ra- the, around the corner of the screen is dark. You're like, he's, he's pushing us in, and then you see the light come in, and, like, blasts everything in the screen every time it happens. It, like, it's super cool. Like, the concepts are awesome. And the first shot, you had the grainy textures in the lights when he's sitting there in the blood transfusion <laughs> Russian hospital. <laughs> like, that, all that's amazing. <laughs> but I couldn't... Ex- I watched it. My wife, Nikki's like, so how was it? I was like, I don't even know why it happened, but I... <laughs> <laughs> Interesting note with the lights. Very specifically, um, nighttime lights are orange in this movie. Daytime lights are blue. Because it's all taken place... Like, it, like night is day for them, basically. But also because GDT was once in a film course where they said that those lights don't mix well together, and he was just like, screw yeah. it, I'm going to mix them together every chance I get. <laughs> so orange and blue is a very GDT thing. The Reapers being kind of bug-inspired, because they're supposed to be very tick-like. That Like, that's some of the stuff when they're feeding, coming out of their back. The and hard stuff, carapace, and mm-hmm. yeah. Um, that's a very GDT thing. Chronos uh, was about like being made a vampire by like an insect device. It's weird. It's really good though. There is multiple things just in jars, which he has in every single one of his movies. He, he really he is a, a stuff in jars kind of guy. It's lots a, of stuff in, in jars. In this case, vampire fetuses and crucifixions. The fact that like I think at least two different vampires get stuck to the wall basically crucified or at least reapers is pretty much set up in a crucifixion position when they Mm -hmm. stab him a bunch isn't he Mm -hmm. yeah that's a gdt also always goes back to the crucifix even like honestly even in his new pinocchio like the crucifix is a big thing it's weird (laughs) (laughs) he's a man of themes Mm -hmm. i like the idea that the leader of all the vampires has lived so long that there's literally no humanity left in him and he's just whatever that is this weird it barely even appears yeah human he actually looks closer to the what you said the reapers Mm -hmm. i enjoyed that like showing the timeline of what vampires actually are like that strain came from him and there's a reason why like that's he's he may not physically be that way but in his actions he's doing the same thing to his own species that the reapers are doing currently to his species I really didn't care when I already forgot the actress's name in the movie. 
What was she? The doing? vampire princess lady? Yeah, what was Nissa? her name? Nissa. I didn't care when she died. <laughs> She's like, I want to see the sunrise. I'm like, okay. <laughs> that was... I liked the scene. I thought it was well done. She had never expressed interest in the sun in any way that I can remember no. before that in the movie. Also, it just felt not earned. Like, there was the love. Like That's what I was day, saying of the kind of half did it. Blade wouldn't have gone back. She would have just died. And that would have been the end. <laughs> he and Whistler would have left. The building would have blown up at some point. And then done. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Something I never would have noticed, but I was reading some trivia and it was pointed out. And now I can't not notice the vampire lawyer. Mm-hmm. His lines are all dubbed. What? Why? His his natural Czech accent is way too thick. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and just did not come across the way that they were expecting. So I think they did like gave him some ADR. That's awesome. Oh, man. That sentence he says, he's like, I'm a lawyer. We're all vampires. <laughs> like oof it's <laughs> rough so you uh you had brought up nissa though and i'd almost forgotten that i wanted to bring this up there were notably uh four other women up for that role gotcha elena anaya who was alira in van helsing mm-hmm. vaguely remember that christiana loken who was Blood Rain in the U of Bull movie. Oh, I'm not knocking her. It's not necessarily her fault that those movies are literally unwatchable. Uh, Asia Argento, the daughter of horror directing legend Dario Argento. And Rona Mitra, who was in Doomsday, but was also the, the not... Um, Kate Beckinsale in the underworld, like the third underworld, The Rise of the Lycans. Oh, I only ever saw the first one. So three of the four other women up for the role went on to be vampires in other movies. Huh. Even lower grade movies. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, we are about to like the the early 2000s, right before the zombie craze took off, was kind of the era of the sexy vampire craze and now it came back well i mean sexy vampires hasn't really gone away ever since ever yeah but uh that was a is the what brought it to like mainstream again though underworld i haven't seen underworld underworld didn't hit the like levels that you know like twilight did but i think but i wouldn't even say that they're vampires in twilight (laughs) it's like the least vampire vampire i've seen but technically I always forget Donnie Yen's in this movie. Oh, you're right. Oh, my God. <laughs> he lasts about four seconds, too. You have Donnie Yen. He choreographed two of the fights. I'm sure. The choreography was extremely... Like, as much as I'm making fun of this movie, actually, there are a lot of really well-done things about it. It's just goofy. The green screen was fine. Yeah. It, it, it was obvious it was happening, but it was not bad. It could have been worse. There was only one CGI scene that stuck out really badly for me, and it's in the final fight. It's like a giant flip blade does. Oh. Oh, when he got all I know what you're talking about. Yeah. They were really excited to be able to use that technology, even though, like, they even admit on the commentary, sometimes it doesn't look as good as they were hoping for. But it was, 
it was a way for them to CG composite scenes to create one shots that didn't actually exist. Mm-hmm. I thought you were going to say when the blood plaque first infiltrate blades lair in the beginning and they're fighting in front of the, the lights. Wall. Yeah. Cause that's the CG that sticks out as being really bad to me, partially because they didn't no cap anything for this movie. Mm. Those were all frame animated. Yep. That's a tough way to do this, which is why they kind of get kind of Gumby ish at times. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like if they, some the cuts between scenes or take or the cuts, that they had where they're actually fighting in front of the wall and then they pan out and it mm-hmm. shows like the crazy stuff and they pan back into the fight. I think that's when I really like, I mean, you can notice it, but like it's so jarring because you're like, Oh, someone, oh, oh that's fake. Oh, oh, back to the person. And then it's back and forth, back and forth. And you're like that. It just was wonky. It's hard for your brain to accept one or the other. I think like half of that fight, I think is one of the ones that Donnie and did. And then, think he also did the first one maybe not the first one against jared nomack but the where they're kind of like on the the scaffolding mm-hmm. i think that might have been the other one but i can't gotcha. remember for sure the choreography was fun i'm just happy it wasn't did this movie come out in the era of the shaky cam action movie stuff like the no boy? this no. was a couple years before because this was it's what perfect. 2003 2004 that's my least favorite type of action uh, 2002 oh 2002 Shaky Cam doesn't kick in until, God, somewhere around like 2007, I want to say. like the first Bourne movie when I was like 10, and <laughs> when I shouldn't have been watching Kill it. me, Mac. <laughs> uh, and it made me motion sick because some of those fights, the camera gets all weird. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, So I'm happy it wasn't that. Could have been worse. This does, kind of thinking about it, we talked about how the first one showed definite similarities to The Matrix, even though it came out before The Matrix. This one weirdly kind of reminds me of Triple X. Yeah. I haven't watched Triple X in long enough that I can't I say. that existed. But, I mean, it just really is... God, we were talking about Vin Diesel earlier. <laughs> um, God, with that fur coat. Yeah. Oh, yeah. my God. Now I want to watch... It was not a good movie. I'm going to go uh, watch that after this. <laughs> they got Ice Cube for the second one. Yeah. Uh, Triple X State of the Union. Yeah. Oh, God. I never even watched it. I never bothered. But... Just the way the action movies changed after The Matrix really shows mm-hmm. between 19... I mean, four years is not that long in movies. But when you have The Matrix. But it feels so wildly different in between. Notably, though, about the action in this movie, uh, for being the you know the kind of action-oriented movie it was, there was no second unit or fight unit Uh Oh, really? GDT actually did it all himself because he wanted to see how this kind of movie comes together. Interesting. And wanted to kind of have that little bit of extra control since, like I said, it sounds like there was only so much that he had control over certain aspects. So a fight unit would be like a different director directing the fight scenes? Yeah. Um, a lot of times on big action movies, the main director isn't directing the fight scenes because it's... fight scenes, a two minute fight scene can take an entire day just to film by itself. Mm-hmm. If you're lucky, nothing. And they wrong. have their completely unique language for mm-hmm. it too like and sometimes they even hire like professionals like this is how it actually look and then you have yeah. to get it all in there and yeah. so sometimes they specifically have a fight unit and sometimes it's second unit just doubles as that which but, that's pretty good mm-hmm. in this case it was all gdt all the time that's not bad dude's got skills i wonder if that helped him in hellboy later i don't know this although is- nomak is the um uh elf prince from hellboy 2 oh interesting 
was Hellboy like expected to be a big movie? I'm asking you about know. a movie that's completely unrelated to anything where I don't know if it was expected to be a big movie, but this Blade 2 and Hellboy were some of the first films that were kind of announced after like X-Men and Spider-Man really blew up. Oh, okay. And so like they were sort of heading off like the big comic book boom, even though we had had Blade in 98, like, yeah, but I mean, Blade was successful, but it wasn't a, mm -hmm. it wasn't Sam Raimi's Spider-Man. Right. And it wasn't X-Men even for that reason, mm -hmm. you know, or for that matter, which Spider-Man was a bigger hit, but like X-Men was an really... infinitely better movie than the first X-Men movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, but X-Men was really the one that people were like, oh, we can do this. Yeah, that's fair. Um, but I still, I actually remember when that dropped, like there being a, a number of different, uh, like Hollywood Reporter and Entertainment Weeklies and stuff. I actually bought a couple from the newsstand where they were like, this is all the new comic book movies coming out. And I was like going through the list. I'm like, what the heck is a Hellboy? I got to start reading that. I just remember seeing ads for Hellboy and in my high school newspaper, because I was like a freshman when it came out, <laughs> they described it as it looks like a lease, uh, a worse League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, and that one was already terrible. And then it came out, and everyone was like, "What the heck? This is amazing!" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, maybe I'll watch Hellboy. No, if I don't watch Star Trek Discovery, my wife will set me on fire. <laughs> I do. I uh, I forgot to bring this up, and then I deciphered my notes since I wrote these like two weeks ago and I have terrible handwriting, <laughs> but going back to the scud defection, mm -hmm. there was something to notice this time around that, or one of the last three times around that was really interesting uh, because GDT is a competent filmmaker <laughs> when they're suiting up to go down into the sewers to deliver the light bomb. And, Blade is having that conversation with Chris Christopherson and the camera is kind of swinging around everybody and sort of showing off all their equipment. And it kind of does like a figure eight around them and stuff. And it ends with Blade telling Whistler, you know, you got to keep your friends close and your enemies closer. Well, that's also the only moment where the camera stops and it stops with Scud right on Blade's shoulder in the background. Interesting. Okay. That's funny. That's because I was wondering if there were any, cause I'm terrible at catching hints mm -hmm. of like big reveals later on. So many times bro, like, they predicted this six months ago. Like I didn't, I didn't <laughs> see a single sign of that. <laughs> also, it's hard to catch, but one of the Reapers, when they get hit with the UV, does the Dr. Manhattan dissolve? Huh? That's a deep cut. I think I vaguely remember seeing that. As gross as the scene was, I really enjoyed when they were dissecting one of the Reapers on the table, and like they just put blood onto the chest, the chest cavity with the heart. <laughs> that scene was super cool. <laughs> it was just fun. As much as some of the CGI effects have aged weird, this movie did do a pretty good job of combining CGI and practical effects in ways that a lot of movies struggled with for most of the early 2000s. You know, 40 minutes in, I realized we haven't actually said what the plot of this movie is. We've only said, eh, it's not that great of a blade. It doesn't have one. <laughs> I, can we, I don't even know if I can explain it. Uh, so the, evil, sorry, go ahead. The evil vampire lord, Damaskinos, 
uh, was trying to create his own version of the Daywalkers. He experiments on his own son, and it becomes the Reaper Mutate. Uh, Reapers can feed on both vampires and humans, and turn them both into Reapers. Uh, so they decide to go get Blade to help them out, because this is a big problem for both of them. So he gets recruited to have to work alongside vampires to take down the Reapers, during which you find out all of the aforementioned information about Jared Nomak's uh, actual uh, origin. And in the end, uh, Nomak and his newly... She just newly discovered that she had a brother, sister, uh, actually are the ones to take down their father as Blade kind of just does a lot of the heavy grunt work in the middle of the movie because the story is really about Nissa and the vampires. But we do get the cool Blade catches the sunglasses out of the air mm-hmm. and starts a fight, which is really what we need out of the Blade movie. And they were trying to, you know, he was trying to make Daywalkers and Blade is the Daywalker and... So it's kind of a nice little contrast between that. And um, it does him kind of trying to make the perfect vampire weirdly sets up something that we'll see in the next movie. That is it's like the maybe the best thing about that movie, the attention to detail. But I don't know. Uh, but yeah, I mean, if you want to in a sentence, Blade plus vampires fight vampire squared. Yes. <laughs> like. It's a vampire's vampire, and Blade has to team up with his enemy, which, as we covered in the comic books era of this, is basically what happens when Dracula and the Tomb of Dracula people have to team up to fight Dr. Sun. So really, we could have just changed this plot to Blade plus vampires have to team up to fight Robot Vampire, that also would have which would have brought us Dr. Sun. I haven't mentioned him in like an episode and a half, so I had to bring it up again. Uh, apparently in the original script, uh, Ron Perlman's character, Reinhardt, was actually supposed to be a German neo-Nazi who spoke only in German. And then they got Ron Perlman and GDT was like, well, I'm not going to have him just speaking German the entire time because it's Ron Perlman. We're taking advantage of this. (laughs) Is this where they met? No, they had worked together on Kronos. Okay. He's a detective in Kronos. Okay, I just, like, because I was watching it being like, oh, God, it's these two. In, like, a year, they're going to make such a good movie together. <laughs> he, they, I mean, he was racist in a way that I did not get when I was a kid, because they have the, like, do you blush thing, which ties into some nasty racism stuff. But I thought it that was just, was, like, you're oh, the daywalker. That was a Wesley Snipes edition. Huh. Uh, inspired by something some racist ass actually said to him i had just thought it was because he was the daywalker when i was a kid i'm not gonna lie that phrase went completely over my head i was confused the entire time that was happening in the movie i was like i don't i, I don't get it right? yeah no i mean <laughs> racism's really weird mac i don't know if you knew this but like... oh no yeah i i am aware i just apparently that was not something i was aware of yeah no it's completely nonsensical i love the bookends of the the vampire he's hunting in Moscow, and he lets leaves them, and then at the it's very end of the movie, complete nonsense to me that he just I, lets that one go. Do you think I forget about you? Uh, best part of that though is the fact that he shows up in the middle of the movie too, mm-hmm. for like half a scene, runs into Blade, and is like ah, uh, that's, that's so good. 
So another weird what might have been, and it just didn't end up happening. Uh, when he when they're all going through the House of Pain, the the vampire nightclub, mm-hmm. and like Blade goes up and he's starting to check out all like the back rooms and stuff. He was supposed to run into, I think it's a vampire drug dealer who was supposed to be played by Michael Jackson. <laughs> Didn't end up happening. <laughs> you know. I'm trying to think of a response, like how to respond to that. That's amazing. <laughs> that I w- <laughs> there are so many Michael Jackson almost played this. Mm hmm. Like, because Michael Jackson also almost played uh, Jareth in, in Labyrinth. Yeah. They gave it to David Bowie, which is... Better. Such a better choice. Um, I just watched the... Oh, and Michael Jackson had gone full late-in-life creepy plastic surgery by that point. Mm-hmm. I think so. So it would have looked... He wouldn't have had to do any costumes. Oh, God. I'm sorry, you were saying you had just watched... <laughs> oh, you mentioned David Bowie. I, I remember I finished the last the return season for Twin Peaks where David Bowie is a character in it. Oh, really? Hmm. I didn't see the inspiration so much in this, but when they're down in the sewers and the bomb goes off and for some reason the Reapers jump out of the water at that exact I time. I was curious about that. Like, that and, was... and Blade swipes them all through the middle with his sword, which he didn't need to do. Because I assumed they were it getting... was just to look super cool. Apparently the... That shot is uh, GDT's homage to uh, Frank Miller's action. What, from like Ronan? Don't know. That was his Frank Miller shot. That's what he said, though. Uh, I'm just like, I don't I don't see it. This doesn't really look Miller to me. It mostly looks dumb because they're jumping out of the water while the bomb's going off. And he's slashing them even though he doesn't have to because the bomb is going off. It's a strange moment that's kind of cool, but also dumb is peak Frank Miller. So like, um, and also just as art inspiration, which is really actually, it was kind of neat noticing this coming back around. Uh, Cause it's pretty obvious. Actually, once you have this setup, blade fighting the vampires coming up at him in the sewers. And then later on uh, we have that shot that tracks up the like blood club covered stairs where Nomak had slaughtered all the security guards. Yes. Both inspired by Frank Frazetta. Oh, I can see that one for sure. Mm-hmm. So this is the thing that probably bothered me most about the movie, but I was okay with it because it got us more Whistler, who remains my favorite character. That somehow they undid Whistler's death? They wildly retconned the entire death. Because he, he straight up shot himself in the face. Right. And they were like, nope. They turned him first. They did not. They even showed us the scene again in the second movie where he shot himself in the face. (laughs) (laughs) And then the hand falls dead. Like, it's not. But he He was dead. (laughs) Yeah. Before he could turn. That was the whole point of that scene. I'm willing to overlook it, though, to get more Whistler. Yeah, sure. As I said, I'm super into it. But it just. We need more Whistler right now. Yeah. Biggest weakness of the third movie. We'll get into that. But is that they went, eh, we don't need as much Whistler in this one. I guess the one other deep cut that I want to point out, because it's such a great little homage to make, and I'm actually going to make you guys watch the scene. We're going to pause everything for a second. The blade slapping Ron Perlman is an homage to an old Western. 
the where when he's, he's spinning when the, he's spinning the knife and like watch this da 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 whack da 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 da, da whack. I, what movie is that from? I feel like I've seen that before. It's from it's a it's an homage to My Name Is Trinity. Oh, I've not seen it before. Uh, an old uh, comedy western series, and we're gonna watch the scene because I actually really love it. Do it. I'm like <gasps> Trinity. <laughs> It was actually Trinity is still my name. Not my name is Trinity, but <laughs> that was like shot for shot. <laughs> Pretty good, <laughs> <That> right? Was... <laughs> I was just like, oh, look, slap, slap, slap. Ugh. I was okay with it. Donnie Yen. Anyway, I don't know if I have too much more about this movie. I, yeah, I think I exhausted about everything I have on it. As much as I slagged it, I really did have a fun time watching it. It's not a great movie, but it's a fun movie. I agree. I still say it's a great movie, not a good story. Yeah, that, that's just because of the director. <laughs> <laughs> Fair. I mean, we're kind of arguing semantics with a similar mm -hmm. point at that one. Uh, the difference is Blade, I still want to rewatch. Blade 2, I haven't had a strong urge to rewatch, but give me a couple of years and I'll be like, yeah. That's a great movie. Rewatch and be like, that's right. <laughs> it's not, but it is. You and know, we just said Trinity a couple times. What's up next? Yeah, this great mystery of what's up next as we've been announcing the now three months of Marvel Monster. Do they Marvel have, have a movies. third Blade movie? <laughs> I could just say no and save us all a lot of trouble. No, At least we're not watching Blade the TV series. With sticky fingers as Blade. Oh <laughs> what? Nothing good is going on in life if you've dubbed yourself Sticky Fingers. <laughs> yeah, okay. Fingers spelled F-I-N-G-A-S. I got that, yeah. A-Z. <laughs> A-Z. Oh, God. So he's an orc boy. <laughs> um, Peak 2006. No, we'll just... Because we're not going to cover it anyway. There was a Spike TV series... That was awesome. Blade the series, starring Sticky Fingers as Blade, and I believe a good portion of the plot involved uh, vampire drug cartels. It was boring. That because it turns out that the ash left over from a vampire that gets killed is like coke to Heck to vampires. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a lot of like butlers following after Blade, just like. <laughs> I actually would have watched that more than the actual movie. Unlike the, unlike the blood laced into the Coke that we see in the House of Pain. Or the blood jello that Damaskinos is eating. Gross. It makes sense, at least. I mean, quote unquote, makes sense. The, the blood cocaine is the really over the top, but like tracks with the era of movie making. Mm hmm. See, I'm curious now that Blade 2 is worse than I remember it being. Is Blade Trinity going to be better than I remember being? The answer is probably no, but it's an amazing demo reel for Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> really, it is. And we'll get into that more next time. Am I doing the outro? I don't even know anymore. <laughs> next um, time, Morbius. <laughs> you know, you what? know what? It'll probably be better in Morbius. <laughs> I... I'm not. I, I have it closed. We're not doing my outro. This is the end of this crossover episode. Oh, right. Uh, in the meantime, we're your generals of nerdery. I'm Zach. I'm Tyler. Dismissed. Dismissed.
Hi everybody, General Tyler here. If you like the show, please hit subscribe however you're listening to us right now. Also, if you could rate and review us however you're listening to us right now, or preferably over at Apple Podcasts, we would super appreciate it, as the whole world is ran on algorithms, and we want to be all up in them, getting our voice out to more places. Uh, Also, I mean, tell your friends, we always appreciate that. Uh, If you want to get in contact with us, ask us questions, give us comments, email us generalnerderypod at gmail.com. You can also contact us through our website, www.generalnerdcast.com. While you're there, check out all of our back catalog or click the links up at the top as we are part of the Earworm Podcast Network. Uh, Go check out all of our sister shows. We're involved with most of them, so if you already like listening to us talk, it might be in your best interest. And if you want to check out everything from the network, head over to earverm.com, E-A-R-V-V-Y-R-M.com. We'd super appreciate it. Love you all. Have a good one.